So John chapter 21, and we are going to read from verse 1 to verse 14. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realise that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord! As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So this morning we are in the last chapter of John's Gospel. Believe it or not, we actually started this series on John back in 2015. And we haven't, of course, been going through John the whole time. We've been looking at plenty of other parts of the Bible. But I don't know if any of you are keeping records. But as far as I'm aware, this is sermon number 68 on John's Gospel. And here we are, after all that time, and we're in the very last chapter. And it's a momentous chapter. Everything is about to change. Jesus is about to return to heaven. These disciples are about to be left behind. And so the question is, what happens next? And one of the things that this chapter does is it tells us the work of Jesus is not going to stop. It's going to keep on going through these disciples. And John shows us that by describing for us two different scenes. The first scene is all about fishing. The second scene is all about looking after sheep. And that really is the disciples' job in a nutshell. They're to fish. 
They are to cast their nets out into the world and they are to bring people in to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. As Jesus himself said, they are to be fishers of men. And they're also to be shepherds. They are to look after and to feed the flock. And so this morning we want to see the first of these scenes. Next Lord's Day we'll be seeing the second of these scenes. And we'll see two different aspects of these disciples' jobs. Um, as we prepare to look at this, this first scene, let me just say this is something that really happened. It's not that John is making this up. And yet, even though it really happened, it's almost like a parable, isn't it? Like a true parable. Because John gets us to think about the deeper principle that Jesus teaches us through what really happened here. So let's come and see what happened in this story. And we've got three different points this morning. And the first one is failure. So failure is our first point. Now, just for a moment, I want you to think about all of the drama that we have seen in John's Gospel over the last number of weeks. Jesus has been raised from the dead. Jesus appears miraculously in a locked room amongst his disciples. Jesus gives his disciples a mission. They are to go into the world. He promises them that as they go into the world, he's going to give them the Holy Spirit. It's all very dramatic. And so, surely there is something really anticlimactic about verse 3. Verse 3, Peter says, I'm going out to fish. Now, I want to be clear about this. There's nothing wrong with the disciples going out to fish. I mean, they do have to put food on the table, after all. But it does seem a little bit strange. I mean, these are the men who are going to be turning the world upside down. These are the men who are going to go out into all of the world and preach the good news about Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And what are they doing? Well, they're in a boat. As if nothing has ever happened. Again, it's, it's not that there's anything wrong with this. It's just they don't really look like pioneers, do they? They don't look like great missionaries. And I think, even though there's nothing wrong with what they're doing here, I think John is trying to paint that picture for us. And I think that picture is reinforced in how utterly ineffective this fishing trip was. Uh, these disciples, they've got all the right gear, they've got all the right know-how, uh, they're fishing in the right place, at the right time, in the right way. And yet, notice verse 3. They caught nothing. And just imagine how utterly discouraging that must have been for these disciples. I don't think it will surprise anybody who's watching to know that I am not a fisherman. You, know, you don't get scrawny boys like me out on boats, do you? You get men with big muscles and with huge calloused hands. And the reason for that, I think, is pretty obvious. 
Fishing is heavy, hard, physical work. It is one of the most demanding jobs that you can possibly do. And so bearing that in mind, try and put yourself on that boat with the disciples. You have been out on the water for hours and hours. Your stomach has been going up and down and side to side because of the constant waves. Your arms are sore because you've been dragging those oars through the water. Your mind is tired because you've been spending all this time squinting in the darkness, looking for signs of fish, looking to see where you're going. You're exhausted because again and again and again you have cast your nets over the side to try and find a catch. It's really, really tough work. And now, after all of these hours of discouragement, you've got this really, really demoralising dilemma on your hands. What do we do now? Do we give up? Do we go back to shore with absolutely nothing to show for all of these hours of work? Or do we spend a few more hours out on the water, back-breaking hours, trying to find more fish and maybe, just maybe, we'll still have nothing to show for it. I mean, this whole excursion has been a monumental failure. And I think that John wants us to get that. I think he wants us to realise that, and then I think he wants us to look beyond the fishing and to see something far more important. He wants us to realise these disciples are supposed to be fishers of men. They are supposed to go out into the world, they're supposed to cast their nets, and they're supposed to draw people in to the kingdom of God. That is going to be really, really tough work. I mean, just think about it. Think of all of the blisters, for example, these men are going to get from walking from town to town to preach the gospel. Think of all of the nights when they're going to crawl into bed and they're too weary even to think because they've spent the whole day preaching to crowds of people. These men are going to have to give everything for the sake of the gospel. It's going to be really, really hard work. And here is a very vivid reminder for these men. You can have all the expertise in the world. You can carefully plan where you're going to let your nets down. You can use exactly the right technique. And yet, you can end up with a big, fat zero. There's a warning for these men. And surely there is also a warning for us in the church today. Reaching the lost is not about how well the pastor preaches. It's not about, in these days of COVID, how well you advertise your YouTube channel. It's not about the evangelistic techniques that you teach to your members so they can talk to their friends. We all want to see our covenant children coming to faith. 
but it's not all about how well designed the CY program is. It's not about the resources that the parents use at home. It is possible to get all of those things right. It's possible to have a great young people's program. It's possible to have a great online feed. It's possible to have the best pastor in the world and yet get absolutely nowhere. I don't say that to discourage you. I think actually this passage is a very encouraging passage, but I do want you to know that if we as a church are relying on our own effort, we need to understand we will accomplish precisely nothing. What a reminder of that fact that Jesus gives these disciples. It's a failure. And so as we think about this failure, there's a question we need to ask. There's a question we need to struggle with within our own souls. Is this just the way it's doomed to be? Are we doomed to catching nothing? Are we doomed to working hard and having nothing to show for it? I think if we're perfectly honest, there are times when it feels like that. We toil and we labour in serving the church. Ministers toil and labour in preaching. You toil and labour in preparing Bible studies. You toil and you labour in being a good witness in your family or in your office. And it feels like you're getting absolutely nowhere. It feels like you're on a boat, in the dark, bobbing up and down and going nowhere fast. We don't see streams of people coming to faith. Sometimes we witness to people and we have really high hopes for them and they leave us bitterly disappointed. We feel weary sometimes, weary and worthless, helpless and hopeless. Life in service of Jesus can sometimes seem like a hard, fruitless slog. Well, I want you to know this morning, these disciples know exactly how you feel. And I also want you to know that the story doesn't end there. The first thing we see is failure, but it's not the last thing we see. The second thing we see is fish. So we see fish. So thankfully this story does not end with failure. We see in verse 4 that Jesus stands on the shore and the disciples don't know he's there but he calls out in verse 5, friends haven't you any fish? And you can imagine the frustration in these disciples' voices whenever they call back, no. But then Jesus, he replies to them and he says in verse 6, throw your net on the, side, oh, sorry, on the right side of the boat and then you will find some. Now, we want to realise it's not that the disciples were just looking on the wrong side of the boat. It's not that they were making a rookie mistake. No, this is a miracle. And so Jesus calls on the, on the disciples to throw their net to the other side of the boat. And then what happens? Well, we see in verse 6, 
they catch so many fish that it's a huge struggle to pull the net back in. In fact, we see uh, later on, we see it in verse 11, that when they got back to the shore and they counted the fish, they had 153. In fact, there are so many fish that verse 11 seems to be implying that it took a miracle for the net not to tear. Well, why did Jesus perform this miracle? Well, surely one of the reasons for this miracle is that Jesus wants to teach us a lesson. And he wants to teach the disciples a lesson. I mean, just think of all of the memories that these men have of fishing in this sea with Jesus there beside them on the boat. In fact, there's a very similar miracle in Luke chapter 5, but this time it's different. Because this time, Jesus isn't on the boat. In fact, from now on, Jesus will not be on the boat because he's going back to heaven. And these men, they have to get used to the fact that things are going to change. They have to get used to the fact that from now on, they won't be having long chats with Jesus over dinner. They have to get used to the fact that from now on, they can't just tap Jesus on the shoulder whenever they have a question. They have to get used to the fact they won't be hearing the sound of Jesus' voice anymore and they won't be seeing the look of his face. These men are being left behind. But they are not being left alone. They will not be doomed by Jesus to long dark nights of hard work where they don't actually get anywhere. They will not be doomed by Jesus to toil and to labour and never accomplish a thing. These men are not going to preach and witness and have nothing to show for it. Yes, it's true, Jesus will not be in the boat anymore. But he will be on the shore. He will be close enough to see and close enough to guide and to bless. He will be close enough to give these men success beyond their wildest expectations. And that surely is exactly what we see just a few pages later in our Bibles. Whenever we turn to Acts chapter 2, Jesus has gone back to heaven, but he has sent the Holy Spirit and the Spirit empowers and equips these men for their ministry. And what happens whenever Peter stands up and preaches? Well, we don't see 153 people coming to faith. Because we see far, far more. We see thousands of people right there and then wanting to know more about Jesus, wanting to know how they can be saved and putting their trust in him. And then, in the rest of the book of Acts, we see the gospel going out, don't we? We see churches being set up in Greece, and in Italy, and in Turkey, and in Cyprus, and in Malta, and in Ethiopia. And we see churches in all sorts of different places in between. And here, in John chapter 21, we have a taster. A little taste of the sheer scale of the catch. 
And that's something, surely, that's designed to encourage us. There will be times when it all seems like a waste of time. There will perhaps be long periods where the church seems to go nowhere. There will be times when we get frustrated at how little progress we see in our families. There will be times when we feel absolutely overwhelmed because the odds seem to be stacked against us. And yet, Jesus does not abandon us to those times. He doesn't abandon us to the futility of our own strength or our own wisdom. Jesus sends the Spirit. And he tells us we will bear fruit. Yes, there will be times when it feels like failure. But without a shadow of a doubt, God the Holy Spirit will provide the fish. So we've seen failure. We've seen fish. Thirdly, we see feast. So we see feast. So what happens next? Well, Peter does just about the most Peter thing you can possibly imagine. He is not all that interested in the fish. He is far more interested in Jesus himself. And so he jumps into the water and he swims to Jesus on the shore. By the way, a bit of a sidetrack, but I think it's good to notice a couple of little reminders that John really was an eyewitness to everything that's happened here. Um, first of all, notice verse 7. He tells us that Peter put his garment back on. I don't know about you, but if I was to hear that someone jumped into the water to go for a swim, I would expect him to take his garment off. This is the opposite of what we'd expect. It's surely not the sort of thing you would write unless you actually saw it with your own eyes and unless it was actually ingrained on your memory. Uh, the second really interesting reason that we can see this is an eyewitness account is notice the story doesn't actually follow Peter after he jumps into the water. The story in verse 8 stays in the boat because of course that is where John was and it's not until these disciples manage to catch up and they manage to get to the shore that we see what happens next with Peter. But notice as well when the disciples get to the shore in verse 9 they see something incredibly touching. Here is Jesus making breakfast. And I think surely that is something that should really move us and encourage us. Because Jesus didn't need to do this. Jesus could have very, very legitimately launched straight into a lecture on evangelism or a lecture on theology. But Jesus knows these men. He knows they've been working hard all night. He knows they're tired. He knows they're cold. He knows they're hungry. And so what could be better than breakfast and a fire? He's so gracious, isn't he? 
And I think surely that is really, really encouraging for us. Because it reminds us, Jesus isn't just interested in what we might call the the holy parts of our lives. Jesus doesn't treat us like we're Christian robots who only exist to to worship him and to evangelise and nothing else. No, Jesus cares for what we might see as something fairly minor, even something as small as rumbling stomachs. And so I want you to know, Christian, Jesus does care. He cares about your anxious thoughts. He cares about your sleepless nights. He cares about those dozens of little niggles that don't seem like much by themselves, but they add up to cause you a lot of grief. The same saviour who looked at these men and said, come and have breakfast, is not going to leave you to your own devices. He's not going to abandon you in your hour of need. Jesus really cares. And notice as well how generous this breakfast is. There's no skimping. There is more than enough to fill these men up. And I think surely that says something to us about the grace that Jesus Christ gives. He doesn't just give us enough to scrape by and no more than that. No, he fills us to the very brim. I mean, this this scene by the side of this sea, it's absolutely amazing, isn't it? It it flies completely in the face of expectations. Jesus has every right to treat these men like butlers. But he doesn't. He treats them like family. Jesus has every right to say to these men, I want you to come here, I want you to serve me, and I want you to wait on me. But he doesn't. He says, I want you to come here and eat with me. I know for a fact that many of you who are watching this this morning have got stories to tell. You have stories of your own experience of this fellowship and this grace with Jesus. Stories of times in your life when you've been struggling. Times when you've been weak or exhausted or worried or scared or lonely. Times when there's been nobody else. Either you've been cut off from your loved ones for some reason, or you've been hurt by somebody else. And yet, you have been just like Peter. You have allowed absolutely nothing to get in your way, and with all of your might, you have jumped in and you have swam to Jesus, and when you've got there, you find a fire to warm you, and food to sustain you. You have found grace that goes beyond all expectations. Grace that has kept you going. Grace that has filled you to the brim. You find Jesus saying to you, Come and eat. I want to say to you this morning, if you have not yet experienced 
this warm, generous, gracious fellowship with Jesus himself. Well, surely this is something you want to have for yourself. Surely this is something you need for yourself. Jesus makes an offer to every single person who hears his call. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And my prayer, both as a pastor and as someone who really wants to bring the good news to Donegal, is that you will know this Jesus and his warm, generous fellowship for yourself. Sometimes in life, as we serve Jesus, it feels like failure, but it's not. Because through his spirit, he provides us with fish and wonderfully, brilliantly, he provides us with feasts of his grace. Let's pray.